Welcome to the Sports Ball for Millennials podcast with Lewis Schaefer and Lewis Januzzi. We're back. Sports ball for millennials. Back at it again. Our third episode. Nothing will stop us from pushing the boundaries of sports podcasting. Three full episodes, all on time, all scheduled. It's like the commitment is real, Lewis. Uh, it's once again, sports ball for millennials. Welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time coming to listen to us, my name is Lewis Januzzi. My co-host here is Lewis Schaefer. Lewis Schaefer, how you doing today, man? Good as always, Lou. Good as always. That's how we like to hear it. We got a lot. To, we have so much to talk about. I mean, pretty much we're at the halfway point of the NFL season. The MLB post—not uh, postseason, but the off MLB offseason. Yes, the offseason has officially begun. The NBA is in full swing. NCAA basketball is back. And yeah. my goodness, what a first day of games that happened, especially one game in particular that we might get to if the magical wheel allows us to get to it. Because we leave it up to the fates. We don't talk about anything unless the gods, the sports gods, have decided that we must talk about it. We got a lot on the plate. We got to talk about a lot. You know, we always, every podcast, we always start off with a Thursday night football game, but we just so happen to record always Thursday nights right after the game. And I told my friend Jake, because I'm playing him in fantasy this week, <laughs> that James Conner was going to score 50 points on him. But really what I meant to say was that the Steelers were just going to score 50 points in general. I didn't mean to say that James Conner was going to score it exactly. but um, I mean, at the end of the day, though, you are a pretty corrupt commish. You could probably just make him score 50. <laughs> yeah, true. I could. I believe the stats today for Devin Funches, who I also started, because I thought, you know, if you're the number one receiver for a football team, you should score probably more than seven points a game, you'd hope. But yeah. unfortunately, he's completely incompetent, and he gets three receptions for, what, 32 yards. And for the entire game, it said two receptions for 28 yards, but they missed. Whoever is running the app missed a clear four-yard reception that I saw live, and it was not on the app for at least a quarter and a half. It just flew by whoever's running it. I was so pissed about it. I was I was going to go into the app because I can and add the points on manually because I was not <laughs> going to lose those point four those one point four points because that could come back to bite me and I desperately need it because James Conner scores fourteen points even in a game where the Steelers just go absolutely haywire. I mean, like you said, you can always make the correction. Yeah, right. And, and of course, we have to say we've been corrected. James Conner is running against the best uh, uh, behind the absolute best offensive line <laughs> in football. The best off the generationally best offensive line in football. There was there was a quote that happened on the much, first podcast much better episode. than the Packers offensive line. Yes, much better. <laughs> yeah, we have we have a listener to the show. His name is Mike. He is our unofficial producer of the show actually. And sometime hopefully in the future he'll be able to come on to it. And he notably pointed out that Lewis said that James Conner was getting a lot of rushing yards behind an offensive line that was what what was the quote? An offensive I think the quote might have been nothing special or nothing something special, like that. Nothing special, yeah. But the Steelers offensive line has been standout, especially over the time in which Lewis already said that because when Lewis said that they were 3-2 yeah. and 1, they were not atop of the AFC North. And then Lewis said that and obviously the offensive line and the team heard that and went, "Well, it's time to step up our game, and they did. So that's that's what we're all about here: bulletin board material. <laughs> Precisely. All right. Anyway, we're now going to go straight into it. Um. Well, obviously, you know, we'll probably go to the wheel, but nope. It's time for trivia because the best way to start any episode of sports ball is by embarrassing Lewis <laughs> forthright immediately. Lewis, I actually. My hard question today isn't even a hard question. It is, it's not that bad. But here's some easy ones. We'll start out, do some wheel, come back, do the same thing. All right, here's the easy trivia question for you. Um, 
Following last week's game, this player became the first player in NFL history to rush for at least 100 yards, record at least 50 receiving yards, and score at least one touchdown in four consecutive games. So what was it? 100 rushing? 100 rushing, 50 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Either way, in four consecutive games. It's a stupid stat. I mean, they're just pulling stats out of their butts at this point. But hey, whatever keeps people interested, I guess. And I thought it was somewhat pretty easy. So 100 rushing, some receiving yards, and a touchdown. In four consecutive games. Four consecutive. Um, This is an easy one. I think you got me. I think, uh, well, I mean, it's not specifically easy. But if, if you want to make it easy, what I would say is that it attached to a player that notably had a big coming out this year. That confirms the form of Kareem Hunt. Ooh, no. Really? Not Kareem Hunt. James Conner. <laughs> James Conner. Lewis, I'm pretty sure this that might be the first trivia question you've gotten wrong in our series without me just giving away the answer. <laughs> but James Conner, 100 rushing yards, 50 receiving yards, and at least a touchdown in four consecutive games. Now, tonight... Well, thanks didn't. to that offensive line. Yes. Tonight, <laughs> even though they put up... Yeah. Tonight, even though they put up 50-plus points... He did not achieve that feat, so his his run ends. But that is the record. If, if you ever want to beat the record for 100 rushing yards, 50 receiving yards, and at least a touchdown, you would have to get four consecutive games to beat that. Um, and really nobody ever in the world would ever want to have that record because it's completely stupid and pulled out of the air. All right. Now, in the MLB... Because this is sports ball. This isn't football for millennials, all right? This is sports ball. We talk about every sport here. We're talking about Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. I mean, they're going to be getting, well, they're hoping to get $400, $500 million contracts. And I'm asking you, as a Mets fan, do you know off the top of your head, what is the richest contract ever given in Mets history? And And here's a, I won't give you a hint. But the second richest contract in Mets history was only a half a million dollars behind this contract. So if you guessed either of them, I would give it to you because it's that close in contract details. I think I might have both of them. All right, go for it. Right is definitely the biggest. Right is the biggest at 138 million. And then behind him, I'd probably go Santana. Yep, Johan Santana at 137.5 million. Uh, which is nowhere near the amount of money that the Yankees gave A-Rod. They gave him at least an extra $100 million at the least. They gave him They gave him a ton of money. Uh, yeah, see, that, that's, that's the thing is the Mets' big mistakes have been on shorter contracts. Well, did like they imagine give... if we gave Jason Bay 10 years. Yeah, right. If it, did, if it wasn't for Bernie Madoff, the Mets probably may have actually had more money. But that's what put them in such financial disarray way back when. And they're still being affected by it today. But, yeah, Madoff really screwed them over. And screwed a lot of people over. But now he's in prison for 200 years. Him and Michael Kendricks. <laughs> and the soul of Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> All right. On to the wheel. So we got a bunch of items on the wheel today. We got a ton of them. And I think what might actually help our audience is I'm going to name everything on the wheel. And if there's something on the wheel that is not mentioned on the podcast today, you can message us on Facebook and stuff. And I'll make sure that it's on the wheel for the next episode. And we'll talk about it on the next episode. But there's just so much to talk about. We got, you know, we got hot takes. We got pro picks. uh, We got more trivia. We got a lot that we want to cover. Even college football is going hot. Here are the things on the wheel today. We got the Browns coaching candidates. Vegas has come out with the odds on Browns coaching candidates. And it will not surprise you who those candidates are, especially the fact that Bill Belichick is always on the list of coaching candidates, (laughs) no matter if the odds are astronomical. That's one. Number two is uh, just some New York baseball, because Lewis and I are big New York baseball fans. Pretty much the Yankees signing their veterans, and, well, the Mets GM came out with a very funny thing today. Uh, number three, the Cowboys, Dak, and their coaching. Who knows what's happening there? Number four, Bryce Harper and the deal he turned down. Number five is Le'Veon and the big day that's coming up on Tuesday to see if he comes back. Six, Des in New Orleans contract. Seven, the Kentucky disaster against Duke. 
eight, one that I really want to talk about, the SEC and college football and how the college football playoff just goes up to them and just gives them big old hugs and smooches that they're just so brilliant at the sport, even though they all just play each other, that they all deserve to be in the top 25 no matter what. And then obviously number nine, number 10 on the wheel, nine being Lewis's choice and 10 being my choice. And my name is also Lewis. So let's spin this wheel. It is Schaefer Choice. Oh, you boy. You can pick anything you want. Now, you can pick anything on the wheel you want, or you can pick anything that you just want to talk about. It could be anything. You could talk about that kid at work that you were that you were trying to get good on your job. <laughs> Who knows? You talk about anything. Well, he's got to wait a year before we can talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Uh, no, I will flip the script on one of the questions, on one of the topics that we have. Um, you call it a disaster. I call it Duke just asserting their dominance zion williamson is amazing i mean yeah he, what, what were his stats he scored 28 points um steve kirk comes out and he says yeah i thought lebron james was generational talent and then i saw zion play the other day yeah and i think that's the thing is that with with the way like youth basketball culture is now like people have been watching zion williamson play high school ball for what feels like six years like <laughs> we've yeah, been watching yeah highlight tapes of him um and obviously his decision was very hyped up i think he had a whole you know espn special about where he was going to go to school yeah, you know they, he's they should have had a, the decision but with zion I, Williamson. Honestly, I think it was like decision-esque um yeah he should have gone to miami <laughs> but uh it's it's almost for him to come out and play that well and then to do it against Kentucky, you know, he didn't do it against UNC William Wilmington or DeSales. <laughs> yeah, right. No, and you when know, you think of Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky is the king of one and is, is the king of the one and done school. They're the king of pumping out the number one, two, or three draft pick, like the the huge star athlete. Like at Duke, you'd see that, but you'd also see a bunch of players at Duke that would stay for a few years. Not a lot of one and duns. And this year, it kind of flipped the script. Not saying that the players at Duke are one and duns, but you have like this big three going on in which three of those players are might go one, two, three, or at least in the top five. It's, it's insane. And Williamson, as great as he is, didn't even score the most points. Yeah, RJ Barrett. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And when I saw the score, I mean, when you see college basketball scores, usually you see, you know, like 83, 75 or 80, 70, or, you know, if they hit the nineties, it's pretty like, Oh, they, they really went off. And if they hit a hundred, then it's like, okay, they're playing, you know, UCM Penitentiary or something. Yeah. But Duke puts up almost a hundred. They could have put up way more points if they wanted to, but they pulled their starters um, at the end of the game. They score 118 points against uh, University of Kentucky's 84. They were up by 37 at the half or something. I think so, yeah. I mean, that, it's absolutely, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that, like you said, Kentucky is normally the one that does this. This should be a Kentucky team, you know, it feels like with all the with all the freshmen. Um, and and Coach K just outclassed Calipari this year. Absolutely. I think Coach K is just – I think Coach K is simply better um, as a coach. I think Calipari might have a recruiting edge, and it might be a little it, – it, he always seems skeptical. I don't know. There's something about him that just seems illegitimate. And it seemed like that way since Kentucky became this huge one-and-done school a few years ago. Even that one year that they absolutely – like, the, Kentucky, didn't they almost go undefeated? And then they beat Notre Dame in the Elite Eight. And then the Final Four they lost, right? Uh, yeah, the Final Four of the national title that they lost. That was my lost. sophomore they, year. But but even that year, they weren't expected to go far. Like, they were very low-seeded, and they almost, like, woke up. And like, oh, yeah, we're Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. You would have never expected I believe Kentucky was actually favored by one point going into it when it came to the spread. And um, Duke just outclassed them in every way, shape, or form. And Calipari came out in an interview and said that he hopes that this is a wake-up call for his team. A wake-up call Hopefully. for your team? I really hope it's a wake-up call for you. <laughs> Because obviously you got out coached and out maneuvered. I mean, you could argue that Duke has better players. 
Exactly. It's it's one of those things, you know, Duke has probably the two, if not three, best players in college basketball this year. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, Calipari two years ago coached in an SEC that had Ben Simmons. So, <laughs> you know, he's he should be used to it. Yeah, but we'll have a lot more to talk about this when the season goes on. Um, but that that is pretty cool that two big honchos come out and play right away, start getting the season kicked off. It's really hard to watch college basketball with a clear eye when there's so much football going on and it's coming down to the middle of the season, the NFL and the college football playoffs coming up. And, uh, you know, people are still feeling the end of the World Series and now there's a huge thing with the offseason in baseball. So, but when, you know, February and March rolls around, the championship games start coming up, that's when you'll be hearing a ton of college basketball on this podcast. But for now, let's move on to the next thing on the wheel. Bryce Harper. Now, uh, I want to expand this to not just Bryce Harper, but I want to expand this to also Machado. And because we're talking about this, it's time for trivia. Because there's a specific question actually linked to this piece on the wheel that I must ask you, Lewis. Must ask you, Lewis. All right. Diction. All right. On day one of this offseason, which baseball team has had the best Vegas odds to sign either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper? The Phillies. That's right. Nailed it. I mean, he didn't even hesitate. You just knew it. Now, the Phillies have a ton of cap room. Is that Was that the reason that you guessed or because of just the rumors that are swirling around? Uh, I had a feeling it was that. I, I saw some weird picture with, like, Bryce Harper photoshopped in a Philly uniform today, and I figured that had to be a reason why. <laughs> The Phillies have been linked to citing him for the longest time. And, you know, I remember showing uh, our friend Jonas they, online on MLB stats or whatever it might be. They show the salary cap for their entire team. And two years ago, they had one player on their team. And I forgot his name because I'm not really a Phillies fan. But he was making 50% of the entire salary for the entire Phillies team. They were the lowest uh, salary team at the time. I think their salary was something around 45 to $50 million. And now they're taking all that money that they've saved up over the years. You know, they, they had their World Series runs in 08, 09, and they've kind of come down to earth over the past few years. And now they're rebuilding. And now they're, uh, they kind of slumped at the end of the year, but they're coming back up. And so Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, I wouldn't doubt definitely that one of them's going to go to them. Now, with Bryce Harper, the reason that we're talking about Bryce Harper and not Machado really is Bryce Harper was offered because he is still under the tutelage of the Nationals until he is officially a free agent. If he doesn't sign an extension, uh, the Nationals offered him $300 million over 10 years, and his agent uh, turned it down. And he came out and he said that my player is a 400 to $500 million man. Bryce Harper had a solid season, but he didn't have the season that a lot of people thought that he would have. But I guess because of seasons prior, he's favored to get a huge deal contract. I mean, people keep thinking that, oh, if I sign Bryce Harper to my team, he's going to all of a sudden bring all these fans into the building and people are going to watch him and stuff like that. I believe that for some sports, maybe for basketball and stuff, like if you bring LeBron to the Knicks or something, you will not have a problem filling seats. But... When it comes to baseball, I don't think Bryce Harper alone is going to go to the Miami Marlins and all of a sudden they're going to sell out their stadium every day. Oh no. No. He wouldn't he he wouldn't have the effect on a smaller team that, you know, a LeBron or Kevin Durant would have in the NBA. But uh, the, his, um, his stats were his stats were pretty good this season. I'm going to pull them up right now, but they weren't something that were out of this world. He wasn't batting like Mookie Betts numbers. Oh, he no. was uh, he was he was batting. I remember seeing him batting like 220 towards the end of August, beginning of September. Yeah, no, he had a ridiculous second half. He got hot in the second half, but I think, you know, his numbers were low for for his standards. But I think almost what teams are looking at is the potential. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy to think that he's a free agent and has done you know the six years of of service time and he's two years younger than Aaron judge. I mm-hmm. believe I, I, I really do think it's almost a team buying into 
whether it be the Phillies or the Yankees or the Mets or whoever, mm-hmm. even even Milwaukee, I know they can't really afford him, but right. he did what he did in Washington, especially the last two years with little to no help. You know, Daniel Murphy every so often, Rendon, you know, there wasn't really another threat to his caliber and he can almost pick his spot. And I think if he goes to a team like the Yankees and gets sandwiched between Judge and Stanton, he's going to get balls to hit. Sure. I think that's what the team would be buying into is if we put him in our lineup with Yelich or with Cespedes or with Reese Hoskins, it'll bring him back to his MVP form. Well, the reason that the Yankees would want Bryce Harper, specifically I can think of for one huge reason, is because he's a lefty. And in Yankee Stadium, Yankee Stadium is is pretty much built for the home run ball, especially right field. I mean, right field is so far in that the whole idea, that's that's why they thought that Stan was a good buy is because one, he fell into his lap. Jeter gave him to the Yankees for an incredibly low price because he was trying to clear house. But Stan also has his ability to hit across the field. Even though he's a righty, he'll actually hit it to right field uh, quite a good amount of times probably over 25 to 30%, which is not usual for a righty hitter. And so if the Yankees were to go for Harper, you would think that the reason that they would go for Harper is because they want that huge buy of Bryce Harper, and he's going to be good. He's going to hit a lot of RBIs and home runs. And also because he's a lefty, they think that his home runs will probably go up into the 40s range because he's a lefty. And lefties at Yankee Stadium hit a lot better. I I pulled up his stats for this season, he had career highs actually in walks and RBIs. He got 100 RBIs this season, uh, 34 home runs. Now his batting average was the lowest, uh, was pretty low. It wasn't the lowest. His lowest was 2016, but batting average doesn't really uh, carry as much weight as it used to. But last season in 2017, he batted 319. His on-base percentage was 413. So his stats from last season would have gotten him. Of you know a forty million dollar contract a year without question. I'm sure he's still going to get that when he gets shopped to the free agent market. But his on base percentage pretty much stayed around four hundred, and as long as you get on base, really in their mind, in the analytical mind, there's not usually much of a difference between getting a single and getting walked. What they really care is about you getting on base in the first place. Yeah. Um. But and and I think what his what his agent said this week too. It really plays into the Yankees. I, I just, you know, I, I get it. There's the reports out there that say that they want nothing to do with them. They want to stay under the luxury tax. I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, I right. really don't buy it. You, you saw how much it helped the Red Sox adding Martinez this year. Um, but when, when his agent came out and said he'd be willing to play first base if it means getting his contract, mm. like Greg Bird stinks. Like, that has the Yankees written all over yeah no scott boris is one of the best agents in major leagues and um yeah he is going he said that his man's 400 500 million dollars that's his worth and that is his decision if he wants to make until he gets an actual contract his worth is pretty much word of mouth at this point yep. but once he gets that contract then that's what he's actually worth yeah i mean i think back to i think it was like 2012 when prince fielder was a free agent mm-hmm. and he sat out. Th- I don't think Bryce Harper will sit out there this long, just because of the demand that he'll have. Yeah. Um. But Prince Fielder sat out there until like January or February, and then signed with Detroit because mm-hmm. they finally, you know, he finally got him his money. So the, he will hold him out. He will hold him out there until he gets four hundred, four fifty, five hundred million dollars. And the thing is, is that, and we talked about this last episode, is that Harper and Machado are kind of playing this game of four hundred, five hundred million dollar chicken like you said, and pretty much they're going to hold out if they can to each other because once Machado gets the huge deal, Harper's going to want to get a penny more than him just so that he can say that he got the highest contract that year more than Machado. Uh, Let's talk about the – I'll run down the odds really quick for each player. Harper, uh, the Phillies are number one to sign him. The Cubs are behind them, plus 300. Nationals, plus 400. Meaning that in Vegas, the Phillies and Cubs are more so favored to sign Bryce Harper than the Nationals. Uh, then you got the Giants at plus 350, Yankees at 800, Dodgers at 850, and then a huge leap. Uh, Red Sox plus 1500, Angels plus 1500, 
And then the rest of the league at a plus 1,000, meaning that your Mets are at a plus 1,000 to sign Harper <laughs> as of right now. And the Mets aren't even listed for Machado. Yeah, that's, that's surprising. That is surprising. Uh, you would think uh, I, I, I would think that the Mets had some money to spend, but I guess because of all that money they spent on free agents last season, maybe that they're not looking to spend that huge deal. But a uh, quick question, did, when David Wright came out and he retired officially, did he surrender the rest of his contract, or is he still making money until 2021? Uh, if I remember correctly, I believe they said they would come to kind of an agreement. Like, they're not going to pay him the contract, but they're not going to just give him nothing. So he's going to get a little bit. Yeah, so maybe the Mets can make a move. Uh, I mean, they I really I, need I, it. I don't think Machado is that far-fetched, to be honest. The Yankees, if he really wants to play in New York, I don't think the Yankees have a spot for him because of how good Gregorius is when he's healthy. Mm. I I was talking about this with a guy at work today. I could really see the Yankees going after a guy like Isdrubal Cabrera to play shortstop for a year, get Gregorius back, and then if they if they're going to spend their money on one, spend it on Harper. You know, sure. it it does it doesn't make sense to spend you know that much money and a seven, eight, nine, ten year commitment on Machado when you're getting back a guy who's been an all star the last two years. I suppose. I mean, maybe the reason that they can't pay Harper or Machado is because they're too busy paying Bobby Benella right now. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> yeah, but uh, here's the quick odds on Machado. Machado Phillies plus one fifty. Dodgers plus 20, uh, 225, Yankees plus 300. So when it comes to Harper signing with the Yankees, it's plus 800. But for Machado, it's plus 300. I think that's a very viable thing because the Yankees just signed an extension for Gardner. They have Ellsbury coming back. They have Clint Frazier, who's a young up-and-coming talent for the Yankees coming back. Uh, they have Aaron Hicks, who is prone to injury, but is their starting center fielder. They got Stanton, who's a DH, but can also play Judge, obviously. Um... So they got a ton of outfield talent, especially an outfielder who didn't play all last season. They're still paying him $25 million a year, so hopefully he could show up and actually do something. But it would make sense that Machado would be more heavily favored because Didi recently just got um, Tommy John surgery, and he won't be back till the All-Star break. Um, so we'll see what happens. Marlins plus 800, Sai Machado. Angels plus 900. Braves plus 1400. Nationals plus 1400. The Nationals are plus 1400 to Sai Machado. They're really unfavored. But if the Nationals were to lose Bryce Harper, do you think that puts the Nationals in more of a place to actually sign Machado? Even though Machado's not an outfielder. If the Nats lose Harper? Yeah. No, I think they're done. You, you think they're just going to go into full rebuild mode? I don't think full rebuild right away. But I think they'll, because they still have talent. They'll still have Scherzer. They still have Strasburg. They obviously had success this year with Soto. They'll still have him. You know, the pieces are still in place. They're not going to be as good as they were. I mean, they weren't even that previously. good with him. Well, they, they weren't that. Yeah, they they were, weren't that good. A couple division titles, but nothing, nothing to to speak well of. I believe I think, they're still the only MLB franchise to not actually win a playoff series. Now give him credit i mean they they've only been around since they moved from montreal as the expos but they still haven't won a playoff series since then which is a little embarrassing yeah i i honestly think the best thing for them would be for harper to go to the american league because then i think they have a shot because then if you're talking the phillies or braves not getting him and then like i said they're still gonna have some talent they may be able to win the division still but if he's with Philly say they're done. Yeah. They're, they're done. Fair enough. Yeah. We're going to go back to the wheel. We'll do it one more time. Round and round and round it goes. Cleveland coaching. Oh, boy. So I looked this up. Uh, and the, so they so they get rid of Hugh Jackson, right? And they talked – and Hugh Jackson came out in an interview and he talked about – the big reason that I think that they're moving on, this is pretty much what he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much what he was saying is the main the main thing that the Browns are focused on right now is the development of Baker Mayfield because the kid's a stud now, yeah, but he has a lot of stuff to learn. You know, he he's a college quarterback um, that is trying to adapt to the NFL environment. He has these brilliant moments of you know heroism, 
but also he makes mistakes. He's a rookie. And so I was looking at some of the odds for coaches, and one coach here I think is the ultimate, ultimate favorite to get it. Um, but they don't have him as the favorite, but I really think he's going to be the guy. They have some ridiculous people on here, too, that are ridiculously high, which just makes no sense. Um, and this should be a quick one, so then we can maybe spin the wheel one more time. Plus 200 is the Rams QB coach, Zach Taylor, which would make sense because they're focusing on trying to develop Baker Mayfield. He spent four seasons with the Dolphins in his career before serving as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats in 2016 in college pretty much every person on this list of Browns coaching candidates is almost uh, is pretty much except for Belichick at the end is under the age of 40. I think people are getting this hot-headed idea that coaches need to be under the age of 40 because Sean McVay is brilliant and he just graduated high school so he must be (laughs) the best head coach and everybody needs to be under the age of 40 in order to be a good coach because they need to relate to the players. Like, they have to be the age of the players so that the players can, you know, go out and get a beer with him after. You you can be old and still be a creative offensive coach. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that's a hard thing to think. Uh, the favorite, though, I think is, well, Zach Taylor is the favorite according to Vegas, but behind him at plus 225 is Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma head coach, which I think is going to be the guy that's going to get hired because I think they are so focused on getting Baker Mayfield to be the right quarterback for them because they're so done with this quarterback carousel and head coaching carousel that they want a group that has already worked together and hopefully it'll work in the NFL. Do you think that's a good idea? Not at all. I I just, granted, there have been college coaches that have done well in the NFL, but there is a big amount of coaches that have not. You know, that have not panned out in the NFL. Chip Kelly, obviously, is sure. the one that jumps to mind. Nick Saban, shout out Jonas with Miami. Which is crazy. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of college coaches that have had tremendous, tremendous success at at the college level and have flopped in the NFL. Well, you know, I'm... Pete Carroll did until he came back with Seattle. You know. Hate him. I just you're, – you're putting the expectation out there of, oh, this is going to just click right away. When if you turn on any Big 12 game, they don't play a lick of defense. You know, that's why the offense looked so good. <laughs> right. You know, and, and then you go for Mayfield. And I think that's what's helping his value is you go for Mayfield, who was a good, gr- great quarterback in college, went number one in the draft, to a guy who's an athletic freak in Murray. He's he's going to be the A's center fielder in a few years. That's how athletic <laughs> he is. You just – you can – be more athletic than the person going across from you and win in college. You can't do that in the NFL. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can't. And uh, and one thing else is that Lincoln Riley is a good offensive coach, but uh, his defenses aren't exactly the elite, elite defenses. And he, if he were to take control of his Cleveland team, they have extremely elite defensive players that yes. he's going to need to be able to coach. I'll run down some of the scores from this season. He played a Baylor team this season um, that currently is, what's their record? It's 5-4. and four. They are not even ranked. And Baylor put up 33 points against Oklahoma. Uh, Texas Tech put up 46 points against Oklahoma. Uh, Texas beat Oklahoma and put 48 points up on them. I, I wouldn't give him the range as a head coach. He hasn't really proven himself on the defensive side of the ball in any sort. Well, and, and and the thing with him is, you know, it can work. Don't get me wrong. But he would need, very similar to McVay, a Wade Phillips type. Mm-hmm. You know, like McVay makes that offense click. And then Wade Phillips takes care of the defense. You know, mm-hmm. and they kind of stick to their own thing. And, and, and it's not always like that. You're able to see on hard knocks that Hugh Jackson kind of wanted his hand in everything. You know, even though he was offensive minded, if they go get, I'm just spitballing here. I don't think he's going to leave ESPN to do this, Um, (laughs) but for the sake of putting a name to it, you know, if you go get Lincoln Riley and then go get, you know, Rex Ryan to run the defense, yes, it can work. 
because, you know, then then he just worries about the offense and getting Mayfield right. But I'll say one thing, though. If I were to be the defensive coordinator for the Rams and I had Sue and Aaron Donald and Marcus Peters and all these amazing players, I think I'd be able to manage them pretty well. I mean, they oh, are. Oh, yeah, the talent helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but Wade Phillips did it with, you know, Aaron Donald being the best player and then LaMarcus Joyner, you know, Mark Barron. He's been doing it for a couple of years. They just added to it. I suppose, yeah. You know, and he did it in Denver, too. I mean, he made DeMarcus Ware look good again. <laughs> Not easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll move on to just the other quarter, uh, other replacements for the coach in Cleveland. Uh, Vikings offensive coordinator John Filippo. 12 years of NFL coaching experience with Giants, Raiders, Jets, Browns, and, of course, the Eagles, which is where he was hired from. I believe he was the quarterback's coach for the Eagles last season. Um, and he was so. brought over. And his age is 40 years old. He is technically in that range of being young. We must hire him. He's young. He must be good. Uh, they have Sean McVay at a plus 750. You know why he's not actually crazy? Um, uh, these odds are insane. They say that Sean McVay is a better chance to come over than Dan Campbell who is a tight end assistant coach for New Orleans, because they think that Sean McVay wants to come to the Browns because he grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Get yeah, okay. get over yourself, Vegas. There's no He's way. in Hollywood. He is king of Hollywood. He's the right king now. of Hollywood. He's the king of this team that has the best players. Why would he leave paradise? It's uh, I don't Cleveland. get it. Yeah, right. I mean, Josh McDaniels had a, a pretty solid job coming up at the Colts to run the Colts and Andrew Luck and bring them back, and he turned that – uh, dumpster fire down to go back to the Patriots to be under Bill Belichick's heel because he was getting success there. McVeigh's not leaving. And then you got Dan Campbell, assistant coach in New Orleans. Uh, and then you got Brian Flores, who's the Pats linebacker coach, who is uh, went in for the Arizona coaching job and didn't get it. There was a big controversy around him, too, because in the new NFL rule, they require by diversity standards that one person of color needs to be brought in for each head coaching or any coaching interview. And so he has kind of been the guy in which people have just brought in an interview just so they can get beyond that ruling and then hire whoever they want. I believe the Raiders brought him in to interview and then just hire John Gruden. Like that, like there's just, they just bring him in as the minority candidate in order to just hire who they want in their minds anyway. And so it's actually going against him a bit only because people are like, oh, he's been in for like, you know, a bunch of head coaching interviews. And he never got one of them. Maybe there's a reason why he's not getting it. The reason is because he's just being used for his diversity. It's sad. He's probably a good coach, too. David Tube, Chiefs special teams, Jim Harbaugh, plus 1,400. Greg Williams, who is the Cleveland defensive coordinator, plus 1,600. There's a better chance for Jim Harbaugh to come from Michigan and be the head coach for the Browns than it is for the Browns' own defensive coordinator to be the head coach of the Browns. That's ridiculous. You want to know something more ridiculous? What? That's my pick. I think Harbaugh's coming. You think Harbaugh's going to come to the Browns and take uh-huh. control of them? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think he'd absolutely. do that after Michigan wins the national championship this year? They're not getting to the playoffs after they lose to Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe the guy from Purdue will do like some weird transfer and <laughs> come straight over or something. And Bill sure Belichick, you. obviously, plus 2,000 to take over the Browns coaching job. Didn't he coach there already? He did coach there previously, yeah. yeah. Uh, Harbaugh over to the Browns. That's a – oh, man. You know what You know what that is? That's a hot take. They play hard for him. <laughs> That's a hot they, take. They play hard for him. He he coached Jabril Peppers in college, so he's got one tie there, you know. And and he made a quarterback that's, albeit slightly for political reasons, but a quarterback that's out of the league. He got them to a Super Bowl. So yeah, true. And also a stat that I looked up. I don't remember. Do you remember the question I gave you last week about Hugh Jackson being the second worst? Uh, winning percentage coach, coach in the history of the NFL, just above so the guy who was an owner, <laughs> the Eagles owner, who was it back in like the 30s? Yeah. Well, Jim Harbaugh actually is on that list for you know playing the the 40 games or whatever, and uh, he is actually in the top 10 
of winning percentage of coaches because he came to the Niners and went to the NFC Championship game, went to the Super Bowl. He had a really good run. And so I'm sure any team would just snatch at the idea of him coming back to a game, especially the Browns. But also, Harbaugh's got to realize something. If he goes to the Browns, that could ruin his legacy. Like, if he goes to... If he were to go to, like, the Colts, or if he were to go to the Bengals, if they ever got... <laughs> they would never. They're just going to stay with that guy forever. But if he goes <laughs> if he goes to another team that's not the Browns and he doesn't do well, then he could go to the Browns. But if he goes to the Browns and fails, I mean, it's pretty much a black hole of just taking people's careers and then they just disappear and they fall into oblivion. So, yeah, but I, I, I honestly think, you know, was on the hot seat going into this year, lost to Notre Dame and it got worse. And then, you know, he's been winning games every so often, you know, beat Michigan state. whoop de doo I think, Oh no, Penn state did lose to them. You know, he whooped Penn state, but the big knock on him is that he hasn't beaten Ohio in the, in the, three four years he's been coach mm-hmm. uh, i think no matter how much winning he does if he doesn't beat ohio state he's back on the hot seat yeah. so i i honestly think he could try to get out from under it i think the only thing that would keep him at michigan is if urban meyer leaves ohio state for whatever reason because then the big 10 is his yeah we'll see if michigan beats Rutgers this weekend <laughs> Rutgers, Go is, Rutgers. Rutgers is one and eight <laughs> And uh, their quarterback broke the record for the least productive quarterback outing in college football history. Ooh. Yes, he threw. That's, that's not like Jimmy Clausen or something? <laughs> and Jimmy, who, who, Jimmy Clausen's fantasy. Who was fantasy, the guy that went to Florida State for you guys? Uh, uh, Everett Golson. Everett <laughs> Yeah, 2012, goes undefeated with Notre Dame. Then the next year, he's declared academically ineligible, and they bench him, and then he transfers to Florida State. And then a couple of years later, they find out that him and a few other players – were actually paying or they were actually paying or coaches were helping them get better grades and it was academic dishonesty and then the NCAA came down and took all their wins away from the 2012 season and then there was a whole uh, appeal process and they take the losses away too because there was a pretty big one in there yeah (laughs) yeah all right we're moving on that's (laughs) we're not talking about this anymore uh, I did want to talk about that Rutgers loss, though, because it was so bad, the stats. Okay, uh, the kid's name, the quarterback of Rutgers, his name is Arthur Sitkowski. He's a freshman. Two completions out of 16 attempts for eight yards, four interceptions. His QBR was one. Pretty much Peterman in college. It's the worst QB adding in college football history, supposedly, by somebody who threw at least 10 attempts. So, yeah, Michigan should be able to put up probably as... They would probably put up basketball numbers against Rutgers. We're at officially... You know what? I'll play it again. And this will be a combo deal because it has to do with the wheel and has to do with the hot take, Lewis. Uh, college football playoff this year will have two SEC schools in it. Now, LSU was in the top four. And Alabama was also in the top four. Then Alabama squashed them. LSU moves down to seven. Georgia moves up to five, guaranteeing the SEC championship will be Alabama-Georgia. If it all pans out and these teams all win out and it's Alabama-Clemson-Notre-Dame-Michigan with Georgia at five and Alabama and Georgia play each other, here's my assumption on the hot take. I think, in my honest opinion, that if Georgia were to beat Alabama in the national championship game, there will be two SEC schools in the championship, and Michigan will get knocked out even if they beat Ohio State. Um, because can you, t- if Georgia's five and Alabama's one, and Alabama has won all these games, and Alabama is just, oh, oh, we're the college football playoff. We love Alabama. They're great. We love them and their fans. They're so committed. And oh, Tua, oh, Tua. Oh, Tua! They can't deal with him not being in the playoff. The media can't deal with it. They, they, the SEC is just the media's baby. And without CBS and without the SEC, then what's the point of having this college football playoff in the first place if you can't have that crowd involved? There's going to be two SEC schools in it. If Georgia can pull the upset off of Alabama. If they don't, then they can't find a way. 
But man, the college football playoff is just there. They have saliva dripping out of their mouths. They want two SEC schools to be in that playoff so badly. Oh yeah, I I agree with you. If Georgia beats them in the SEC title game, then they're both getting it. If they don't beat them, then I I think it's a situation where Notre Dame kind of everything up this year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but if Notre Dame goes undefeated, you cannot you cannot kick them out. If they get a loss, oh no, it makes sense. If they get a loss and they don't have a championship game to play, and it turns out that the teams that they played this season weren't actually as good as what they were supposed to be, you know, this this schedule that Notre Dame was supposed to have was supposed to be a solid good schedule. I mean. They were supposed to play Stanford, who was actually ranked 7 when they played them, and Stanford's not that good anymore. They were supposed to play Virginia Tech, who was supposed to be the hardest game in Blacksburg, and then they fell off the map. And then Florida State was supposed to be in the top 25, and then they fell off the map. And now you look and, now you look and you say, okay, they beat Michigan in the first game of the season when both teams didn't really know what they were doing. I mean, Notre Dame had a completely different quarterback back then. And now... Their second toughest game on their schedule is Syracuse. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the thing that's going is like, oh, well, maybe, yeah, I guess if they have one loss, then they're out. But if these teams were good, if Florida State was good, if Stanford was good, if Virginia Tech was good, if all these teams were actually good, then Notre Dame, if they had one loss, they'd still stay in the top four or at least be at five or six. But if Notre Dame loses a game, especially against like Florida State, or if they lose against Syracuse or they lose against USC, which is all a possibility, they're out. Because they want, you know, they, they have the two SC schools that they want to get in. And, oh man, if Alabama and Georgia both end up in the top four before the college, before the SEC championship game, it's almost a guaranteed, I think, that they're both going to get in. Or if Georgia loses and Oklahoma ends up losing another game because LSU is actually ranked number seven. That LSU would sneak back in. I mean, they, they they have it all figured out that no matter what, we're going to put ourselves in the best position that two SEC schools will get into the college football playoff. Notre Dame absolutely has to win out. To build off your point, they absolutely have to win out, especially because you think they're in a conversation right now. Not just the SEC, just five of college football's love children. Between Alabama, Georgia... Clemson, Ohio State, and Michigan, like they absolutely have to win out because mm -hmm. then you almost can take the spot of either the Big Ten or if Georgia loses the SEC game. Mm -hmm. But like you said, because of the schedule, it's completely a moot point if they drop a game to Syracuse or USC or something. Right, it completely is. There's um, seven teams right now in the top 25. Alabama's number one, Georgia five, LSU seven, Kentucky 11, Florida 15, Mississippi State 16, and Auburn is at 24. Um, I'm now looking at the others receiving votes. Sec oh, they don't have that in the college football playoff rankings. They only have the AP poll, which no longer matters. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, I, when is somebody going to beat UCF? That is something that I'm never like, we're we're undefeated. We're okay. That is what I'll agree with of the fact like, okay, yeah, they are definitely not on the scale of an SEC team. I can understand that. Uh, we can go to the final round of trivia. All right, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what. Oh, so this is a two prong question. One is a medium. And then the next question that goes off it is a little harder. But I couldn't really give you a hard question because there's nothing really I could find that was incredibly hard. So last weekend, Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Clutch, he was unable to bring the Packers back the other night against the Patriots. And surprisingly so, this is an interesting fact, Aaron Rodgers may not be as clutch as we think when the game comes down to the wire. He has 18 career game-winning drives. Only 18. Uh, now, he did start his career late. I can understand that, but I will say that he's projected because he's pretty much. How old is Aaron Rodgers? Thirty-one. Um, I think he's like yeah, thirty-one, thirty-two. So he's at the halfway point of his career, we would say at at the least. Uh, and so he's projected to only end his career with between thirty to thirty-five game-winning drives in his career, and that includes the postseason, which is twenty games less 
than the all-time leader of game-winning drives at 56 game-winning drives. Do you know which quarterback holds the record for most game-winning drives in a career? You said it's 56? I believe it's 56, yeah. Just because the team was on his back for so many years, I'll go Peyton. That's right. Peyton Manning. But they predict that that record will actually be broken. Uh, yes, including the postseason. This is including the postseason. So we will include the postseason on this. So therefore, if you include the postseason, Payne Manning has 56 game-winning drives. This player, behind Payne Manning, has two less game-winning drives and is predicted to beat him and to uh, hold the record. He's two away from tying the record. He's at 54 right now. Do you know what quarterback it might be? Which quarterback? Uh, is you said he's active now. He is act- Yes, he is predicted to beat the record. Uh, before his career um, ends. Drew Brees? Close. He, Drew Brees right now is at 44 game-winning drives. Tom Brady is at 52 oh, okay. game-winning drives. They predict that before his career is over, he will get three more to beat the record for most game-winning drives. Uh, meaning Game-winning drives meaning uh, scored in at least the last third of the fourth quarter. And that drive that is being scored, being the last score of the game, putting them in the lead. Uh, so Tom Brady. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, I mean, that's that's uh about it. I mean, we could do college football, but we already talked about college football pretty well. Yeah, we already kind of did. Uh, I could spin the wheel one more time. Oh sure, no, let's, let's oh. not do the wheel. You know what we should do? We should do and final and and end this amazing amazing podcast. With some pro picks. You played in the NFL. What's longer, a half or five eighths? Pro picks. Nobody can do it like I can. <laughs> NFL pro picks. Once again, brought to you by Pat's Run. Our good friend and listener, Matt Enters, runs an amazing band, Pat's Run Band. It's on Facebook. Check them out. They have some great music going on. And, uh, yeah. It sounds great. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. You should go take a listen to them. But also listen to us. Listen to them right after you're done listening to us. This is NFL Pro Picks. Lewis, if you can remember what your picks were last week, I can't remember. But I will remind you of my picks last week. My picks were that the Bills were going to get trounced by the Patriots by at least 14, which they did. And I made a pick last week in which you said, really? The Falcons. The Falcons obliterated their opponent last week. And since this podcast has started, I am at a beautiful Zoftic 4-0 when it comes to my picks against the spread. So if you bet my picks, which I did as well, you have would have made already money on four different NFL games. Yeah, I'm not so, I'm not as good. I think I'm either <laughs> two and two or one and three. It's all right. Because I know last week I took DL with the Rams. So next year, on the next Rams, year when I- we do this. Uh, you will have, uh, we will actually have a bet going and a punishment for whoever has the least amount. So we'll, we'll actually do something for it. Lobster costume. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. Lobster costume. Right. Um, for those listening, we're in a fantasy league, and if you lose, you go in a lobster costume in front of a red lobster and just stand there for half hour, hour, and just poke fun well, at strangers. I just, I just want to say, everybody, just in case this is my last episode and I lose to to Joe. Uh, uh, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> I told Lewis that if he loses to a kid he's playing this week, he has to leave the podcast because the kid has Thielen and Hopkins and all of these amazing players that are all in their bye this week because sometimes you just don't draft the way that you should. This is an awful week for football, Lewis. Other than the game that was tonight, which was supposed to be a good game, it was an absolute blowout. These games are disgusting to look at. I mean, Giants, 49ers, Raiders, Chargers, Jets, Bills, Chiefs, Cardinals. These games are brutal. Um, and they're hard to choose because it's a little bit of a crapshoot right now. But I think I know who I'm going to take. I, as the favorite, am going to easily take, grab, gobble up, consume the New Orleans Saints. And the New Orleans Saints are not only an amazing team, but they just got better. Now, you could say Des Bryant is a little bit controversial, obviously, and a little bit poisonous 
because the Cowboys were never able to really win with him at the helm. But you cannot take away from the fact he is a talented, talented receiver. And the Saints, with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, are going to right the ship with him. Just like Belichick and Brady righted the ship with Josh Gordon, Bryant's going to come in there with a wide receiver core that is battered already. Ted Ginn Jr. just went on the IR. Uh, their other weapons, like Benjamin Watson and their other receivers, are not living up to a second receiver type role. It is really all on Michael Thomas at this point, and then the backfield of Ingram and Kamara. This is going to be a huge addition. The Saints are going to come out. Bryant will not play that much, but I'm sure that he will play. And if he does, he will catch some big balls. He'll be a big target man. Him and Michael Thomas together, deadly, deadly combo. Saints are favored by five and a half. Before it increases, you must take this pick. The Saints are going to obliterate the Bengals. And you know why also? I made a trade for A.J. Green in fantasy. He's injured for a week or two. He's out. The Bengals only have Tyler Boyd to throw to, really. And uh, what's the tight end's name? Azumoa? Azuma or something? He's injured. All right? They have Joe Mixon. He's a solid running back. But I think the Saints are going to come out on top in this one. Uh, I think they're an easy pick. Easy take. Take that pick to dinner. Give it a nice night out. Uh, For the upset pick... The one that's not favored. I'm going to take an interesting, interesting Vegas odds. I understand that the Redskins got obliterated last week defensively. The Redskins are not an amazing team. But the Buccaneers aren't an amazing team either. And they have two things at quarterback. He's either Fitz Magic or Fitz Tragic. And I'm telling you right now <laughs> that Fitz Tragic is going to come out. He is going to zoptically just burst out, have a great first drive, and then fall apart just as he always has done and just as he always will do. Just like he when he was at the Jets and they gave him that big contract and he didn't work out and they got rid of him, he is not consistent at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Winston all of a sudden comes in again. I mean, it's a mess down there. The Bucks are favored. I think the Redskins are going to come out on top. They are... Right now, it is the Redskins losing by three to the Buccaneers in Vegas odds. I think the Redskins are going to do well. I think Alex Smith's going to do his little dip and dunk passes. I think that they're going to put up a good fight. Buccaneers defense is not that good. Uh, Fitzpatrick is, you know, hit or miss. And I think I'm going to gamble on the fact that it's going to be a miss this week. So that those are my picks. Saints are going to trounce as favorites, and the Redskins are going to upset as the upsets, even though they probably shouldn't be. And those are my picks. Lewis, your turn. All right. So first off, you're wrong. Fitzmagic will rise. <laughs> like a phoenix. So I'm, I'll start off with my favorite. Brocktoberfest is over. <laughs> Green Bay's favored by 10. I would take them by 100. I'm taking Green Bay as the favorite. I just... Brock Osweiler. <laughs> the Jets kept him in check, you know? <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and then for my upset, now this is one that I may have to explain because I got this in my head. I was going to go Dallas, you know? A lot to prove. Mari Cooper showed flashes on Monday night. They're playing the Eagles. It's a rivalry game. They're wearing those stupid black uniforms. Me and you both know when the Eagles break out those black uniforms, you're dead. You're done. It's over. So I backed off of Dallas. My goodness. I was about to say, that may be the worst pick I've ever heard in my life. You were going to do not take Dallas. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I am going to go with, for my upset, this is the second time I'm saying this in this segment. Like a phoenix, he's going to rise. <laughs> Nathan Peterman. Oh, come Nathan on. Nathan Peterman and the Buffalo Bills, they're, they're underdogs by a touchdown to the Jets. Darnold's not playing. Horrible pick. Jets' offense has been atrocious. Horrible pick. They may not win. Awful they pick. may not win, but they'll lose by like three or four. Sad, <laughs> sad pick. You know what with, I smell? You know what with, I smell? With, Desperation. With the Bills being up in the fourth quarter and then Peterman throwing a pick six to Jamal Adams. Uh, yeah, maybe, but <laughs> I, I, I do not see this Buffalo Bills offense producing anything. This Jets, the Jets' defense is not that bad. 
Hey, if hey, more power to you if you get that. But I wouldn't have taken that pick in a million years. If that game, if the Bills Jets game was happening in my backyard, I wouldn't even look out the window. <laughs> Those are our pro picks. Lewis taking a very risky maneuver. The smell of desperation reeks around his body, but we'll see. So that's the podcast today. Uh, We will be back with you guys next week. We're actually going to be doing it a little earlier than Thursday. I'll still upload it on Friday, maybe. Uh, Maybe I'll actually upload it the day before, but I am going out to New Hampshire next Thursday. So we will be doing a special edition episode in which we record and don't actually talk about Thursday Night Football at the beginning of our podcasts. It'll be quite interesting. All right, from Lewis and I, we bid you adieu. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful, wonderful day from us at Sports Ball for Life.